This is the Ops Authority Podcast, where my mission is to break down the backside of your business so you can take the right actions to grow and scale. Hey, I'm Natalie Gingrich, a small business operations expert, and I'm going to give you a front row seat to real solutions that will help you reach the vision that you have for your business, all while equipping you to put out those inevitable pesky fires and those fears that pop up. Listen in for strategies to grow your team, craft the systems and processes that you need for your business, and establish business foundations that you may have skipped over. I know you're ready to do really big things, so let's do it together. Well, hello, hello. This is Natalie from the Office Authority Podcast. I'm so excited that you're joining me for episode number 31, where we are going to talk about the 10 questions to ask yourself before you write a job description. As an operations expert, I am hired to come in and help people, help businesses grow their teams. And this is one of the scariest things about having a business. I happen to have a really big gift for being able to define what it is and who it is that you're looking for, and then go through all the right steps, ask the right questions. And so today you're the lucky beneficiary of hearing those questions that I work one-to-one with my clients on to really write the best job description for the role that you're looking for. So this is likely the most important marketing piece of your business. And I know that sounds strange because this isn't necessarily going it's not a marketing piece like you're going to be creating content and copy to bring in new leads or to sell an offer, but a job description is truly a marketing piece. And so that's why there has to be strategy behind this. If you listened to the last episode, you probably heard me talk, okay, rant, about some of the things that I see people doing that lead to really poor results. And when it comes to hiring, The number one linchpin in this is making sure that you articulate what you're looking for in the very best way possible, and that is in the form of a job description. So like I talked about in episode 30, where I see people throwing a post up on Facebook saying, hey, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z with no real depth, that is desperate hiring desperate, right? And so we're going to change that today. I'm going to give you 10 questions to ask yourself so that you can make sure that you are writing a really thorough job description, creating your most powerful marketing piece so that you can truly scale your business with the right people. I'm telling you, ladies, you're going to give yourself so many gifts by taking the time to do this. Some of the benefits of writing a thorough job description means that you're going to have less turnover. You know why you're going to have less turnover? Because you're going to be getting more of an ideal client. So many times people come to me and they ask or they tell me they're dreaming of a quote unquote unicorn. The only way to get that is to spend time articulating and defining what it is that you need. So one of those benefits is decreased turnover and a greater match, a a higher quality match for what it is that you're looking for. You're also going to have a better, more symbiotic relationship. And that person in turn is going to stick with you longer. You're going to align on things like values and mission and vision. So many things that are missed when we just hop in to hiring. So let's go ahead and get started with that list of 10 questions that you're going to ask yourself before you write your job description. All right. Question number one, what is your budget? When you look at your numbers, 
when I talk about numbers, I'm talking about your revenue. I want you to look at your profit and loss sheet. I want you to see what kind of profit margin you have in your business. As you go to scale your business, you're going to be reinvesting some of those profits back into the business. And one great way to do that is to reinvest with talent. So this is a great way to multiply yourself, but I want to be honest that you're going to be replacing profit that you may be taking out of the business or paying yourself with, and now you're going to be putting it back in the business. Now, of course, there's going to be a return on this investment, but at the beginning, at this stage, I want you to plan on losing a percentage of that. So I want you to look and see what kind of margins you have right now. Of course, I want you to get the biggest bang for your buck, but I also want to be really practical in what you can afford. One of the things that I see that just really, really breaks my heart is when people will overinvest in talent out of desperation. And I use that desperation a lot because that's how people tend to hire. So if you look around and probably even in yourself, you have been in a state where you've been like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm staying up way too late. I'm not spending time. I'm not being the person I want to be. So I'm going to hire someone to come in and just do this work for me. So we all know that that hypothetically, it may sound great, but the reality is you're not getting people who are going to be on the bus or on the journey with you for a long time. You need to look at how much you can afford, what kind of talent you can afford. So There is no one right way to do this. There's a couple ways. And you're either going to invest in greater talent for a shorter amount of time. Another way is you're going to invest in more time and more of an entry-level position to help you more with the administration. So here, it all comes down to what you can afford and what your needs are. But let me tell you why I start with budget. It's going to help you dictate what the title of the position is and, of course, what the pay is. I get lots of clients that I'm performing the hiring roles for come to me and say, well, how much is this role worth or what does the market pay? And I always give them the big stop sign. I need to know what you can afford first because we can back into, we can still get you quality help but we've got to know what your budget looks like. And here's the downfall. If you don't do this and you don't put a price tag on the job description, here's what you run into. You run into emotionally hiring. There is just something that happens in our minds that tells ourselves that the person that is $75 an hour is better, more qualified, more experienced than the person who tells you that they would accept $35 for this role. Now that's not right or wrong. And there is no, actually, I believe that there is no merit to that statement, but that's what our brains do. So naturally you start to press yourself and to say, I will do without X, Y, and Z so that I can get this $75 per hour person because he or she is the best because of their price tag, or they have worked with this person in the past. So they're going to be the best fit for me. When in fact, it doesn't make sense financially if you cannot afford that talent. And if you've been listening to me for any time, I know that you got into business to turn a profit so that your family could benefit from this. Ultimately, you're stealing from your family if you overinvest. And I know that that's a really strong statement, but that's exactly what you're doing. I want you to start by looking at what your profit margin is, look at what percentage you can afford to take away from either your family or reinvesting into the business. And that's what you're going to allot for this new role. 
So question number one is what is the budget? And I encourage you, set that budget before you ever post the description and include it in the job description. Question number two, how many hours do you need this person to be in your business? The more clarity that you can get on the time that this person is going to be spent in your business, the better financial decisions you're going to make. So question number one leads to question number two, which is how many hours is this person going to be needed in your business? If you are currently performing the role that you are outsourcing for or you're hiring for now, I hope that you have spent time Like I talked about in the last episode, I hope that you have used that time and task tracker to understand how long it takes you to perform those tasks. If you haven't, go back and listen to episode number 30, where we talk about the time and task tracker. When you know how many hours it takes you to perform that task, I believe that you can use a multiplier of 1.5 to quantify how many hours a new person that is new to your business is going to be spending in doing those exact same tasks. They will optimize over time, but I want you to plan on that person coming in at spending one and a half times what you're currently spending doing those exact same tasks. Again, this is gonna help you with budgeting, but it's also gonna help you to be extremely clear. There is so much breakdown in this when people are applying for roles and this hasn't been done. So if you're estimating, or I should say guesstimating, that you're gonna need somebody for 20 hours a week, the people that are applying are expecting 20 hours of work per week, which means that they're going to limit the other clients that they're gonna be able to work with, if we're talking about contractors here. And that's primarily what I'm talking about today because I believe that first, second, third, even up to their fifth hires are mostly going to be in a contractor status. So I think it's ethical to create boundaries for yourself, but also for the person that's going to be joining you because we're all building businesses and trying to support our families. So if you estimate 20 hours and in reality, you only have five or 10, you are compromising their expectations and the amount of income that they can be bringing into their business. So do yourself a favor so that you are financially clear on what type of money is going to be expended. And then on the flip side, you create an amazing standard and a great relationship with this new hire because they're getting exactly what they want. Now, ladies, this is not happening in the marketplace and I encourage us to change this. Let's be the shift that we need understand what you can afford and how many hours you need this person to work in your business. Question number three, I want you to work really hard, spend some time in capturing the culture in your job description. So remember when you were setting up your website or you're trying to perfect an offer or you're creating a new ad set for your Facebook ads, you spend a lot of time. You may even hire a copywriter to help you articulate your value, to get your message just crystal clear so that the people that are reading that really understand who you serve, what you're about, what your values are. That's the point of really spending time in messaging. I want you to do that exact same exercise for your job description. I know that the most functional teams share a vision, and values. So take your time to make sure that that shows up in the job description. It doesn't have to be its own section per se, but I want you to talk to your current contractors or even if they're past contractors, what is the best thing about working for you? Put that in the job description. 
If you're a snarky person, I want that to show up in the job description. If you guys have a lighthearted, fun working environment, that needs to show up on the job description. And I don't want it to be like, we are a fun and exciting place to work. Like that is so generic. I want you to infuse your personality. How do you talk? How do you lead meetings? What kind of syntax do you use? Let that show up. I mean, the cool thing about us being in small business is that we get to have businesses that reflect us. I want your job description to do the exact same thing. So capture the culture. Look around at the current people that are on your team or even the past people, and also make sure that you talk in the verbiage that you use on a day-to-day basis. Alrighty, remember that when people are going to be joining your team or at least looking at joining your team, they want to know who their boss is going to be. What are they really like? So right along the lines of what that culture looks like for the business, I want you to take the time or the space on the job description and describe the leader in which they're going to be reporting to. In many cases, this is going to be you, the business owner, the CEO, the founder, whatever title you have for yourself, but describe yourself. What are your personal values? What kind of leader are you? Are you a hands-off leader? Are you someone, are you an extrovert? This is where I love to use all those personality assessments. Are I just hired recently for somebody who was an ENFP. And I thought that that was really important to put that out there because as someone who looks at job descriptions all the time, or if I was actually going to be applying for this job and I had a difficult time or a pattern of having a difficult time working with extroverts as an introvert, I'm not, but if I were, then this would not be a role that I would want to apply for. So whatever it is that you can use to define yourself as the type of leader you are, put that in here. This is more than your bio. So if you're using a bio to send off to podcast and on your website and on you know guest articles that you're writing, this is not the same thing. If you have a hard time articulating a description of yourself, have the people that work with you, maybe even mastermind sisters or somebody else around you, have them help you write that description. It is so important to make sure that you are going to align with this person that's going to be partnering very, very close to you. Question number five, what is the main objective of this role? This is a big differentiator. I use this and I find it to be one of the most critical parts of this job description and this entire process. So here's the reason I want you to define a main objective of the role. I see the fallouts of new relationships in business very often. It's hard to hire perfectly if you don't follow these 10 questions. So hopefully we're going to help that today. But I see when people don't hire correctly, there are lots of questions in that onboarding phase and a lot of kind of, we'll call it buyer's remorse, which is really hire's remorse on both sides. It's both the business owner and the contractor. They're coming in and all of a sudden I hear questions, or excuse me, I hear statements like, oh, they wanted me to do this and this is what was on the job description, but now they're asking me to do X, Y, and Z. So when I work with the CEO in creating this job description, I tell them, if you can only have one thing out of this new hire, what would it be? So in addition to asking the leader to identify this and to get crystal clear on what the priority of this role is, of course, that's helpful. But on the other side, and the real impact of this exercise comes into play once this person is in your business. But if you don't do it at the job description level, then it's not going to get done. So let me fast forward a little bit. 
when you have hired someone and they come into your business and they know the main objective of this role, they're able to self-assess their performance. So let's just say that the main objective of the role that I'm hiring for is to have a project management expertise with heavy communication abilities or significant communication abilities. So in this case, the main objective is project management and communication. When this person comes into the business, they're going to ask themselves, am I being a phenomenal project manager with really great communication skills? And when you self-reflect and you ask yourself, am I doing that? You're going to know the answer. On the flip side, the leader who has hired you is able to ask the exact same question. So there's always this mutual self-reflection that's going on, and it really provides a lot of structure. It's going to add a lot of structure during the job description piece, but it's also going to give you some performance management without you guys having to extensively communicate. Now, we're going to talk all about job performance and course corrections and all of that in another episode. But for today, I really want you to know what is the main objective for this role? All right, question number six, and this is one that always shocks people. It kind of puts them back on their heels a little bit, but what are your pet peeves? So think about the times when you've hired and things have gone wrong. Think about the things that just get underneath your skin. Think about the things in your business relationships, your personal relationships, all the relationships around you. What are those traits, those skills that really frustrate you? A lot of times I get people who say, oh, I'm pretty easygoing. Nothing really bothers me. And I'm going to push back and have you dig just a little bit deeper. Think about when something didn't go right in your business and you were relying on other people to make that happen for you. What was it that fell apart? When you start asking yourself these types of questions, you're going to understand what those pet peeves are, what frustrates you about other people. Now, ladies, we're going to be working in really small businesses. And these small businesses, the teams are the heartbeat of this business. And so personality really matters. I'm all about hiring for personality and training skill set, especially in an entry-level role. Now that's debatable the more specialty we get into, but personalities, I'm going to stand out here and say that personalities matter all the time in small business. And so if you are going to hire somebody who possesses the opposite of those pet peeves, you're probably going to have a really successful relationship, both on a friend level, a leader level, a respect level, a values level. So Take a look at those pet peeves, make sure to capture them. And then I would encourage you, well, let's be honest here. In the job description, you're not going to say, hey, these are my pet peeves. You're going to naturally weave the opposite of that pet peeve into the job description. It may go so far as to being one of the requirements, the opposite of that pet peeve, being one of the requirements in the description that you're writing. So let me give you an example of what a common pet peeve or a pet peeve could be. So timeliness. One of the things that just irks you is when people are late to your meetings. It is the most disrespectful thing in your day. It's one of those things you want to avoid. So we're going to flip this around and we're definitely going to put it in the job description. But in those screening questions, we can ask them a particular question. If this is your biggest pet peeve, we now know that we need to dig in. And that's something that we have to zone in on in the screening or the interview part of the 
of the process. So we would ask them, how do you respond when other people show up late to a meeting? And this is going to be so telling of their tolerance for being late. So it's an inadvertent way of getting that pet peeve to come to the service to see how they feel about it. Is it something that you guys align with? And I always encourage you to flip it around. So if it's someone always being late, then prompt the opposite of that is someone who's always prompt. So in that response, they may say, oh, you know, it frustrates me so much when people come to the meetings late and I would ask them, so, you know, what do you do? How do you give them feedback? And now you're able to dig into maybe some of those communication skill sets or the leadership skill sets, things like that. So number six was defining your pet peeves, turning them around and including them in the job description. Number seven is looking at the requirements of the job. And I'm going to ask you to go deeper than just what are the requirements you want? So you may have particular skills. You may have a particular experience level that you're needing for this role. You may want them to have a technical expertise in a particular tool set. Maybe they need to be familiar with the particular tech tools that you use. Here's where I want you to pull out that time and task tracker that you've been using to assess what it was that you're going to give this new person to do for you. How is this going to be a win-win experience for you? So listing all of the requirements out is, it's critical. It's a have to, it's not, you want to be as comprehensive as possible, but I wanna push you a little bit further and have you prioritize those requirements. What is the most important? And then what is like secondarily important to you? So. What's going to happen when you put this out there, when you get really, really clear, you're going to repel people who don't have the primary requirements that you're needing for this job. So get very, very clear. If you can expand into the secondary or the, some people call them preferred and required skill sets, it's going to allow you to rank the candidates and the applicants as they're coming in. So if someone meets the preferred and the required, obviously they're gonna rank higher. So it's gonna allow you to weed down the list of people that are coming in. Big proponent of having multiple levels of requirements in the job description. Number eight, what kind of outcomes or measurements is this role going to provide your company? So this is going to lead you into something that I call key results areas. And we're going to talk about that in a future episode, but this is the beginning of letting this person know what they're going to be responsible for. We're trying to get as clear as possible to avoid those desperate hiring situations. One way to do that is to say, this is what you will be responsible for. It sets the tone for the relationship that this is not just going to be a job that they can just kind of check a few boxes and you're not going to monitor this. It's actually telling them that you're going to be engaged in the performance, not that you're going to be a micromanager, don't go there. The fact is that they are going to perform higher and greater for you if they have direction on what your expectations are. So if you're going to be hiring, let's just say you're going to add a director of operations to your business. What is an outcome there? An outcome that you could measure is how much time they give you back in your business. Another measurement that someone could look at for a director of operations is how often projects are on time and on budget. So we could go down the list for every single role, but I encourage you for every single hire you bring on, even if it's not a massive role in your business, you should ask yourself, 
what is the outcome or what is the measurement I'm going to look at for this role to make sure that it fits in your team. Question number nine is where are you going to post this job description? You have to be a little bit more strategic than you have in the past because there's lots and lots of, especially if you're looking for freelancers. I mean, you can go to Indeed, you can go to Upwork, you can go to specific Facebook groups. There are so many different places where you can look for talent. And I want you to be strategic. If you're looking for let's just say director of operations, then you're going to want to come to my group. If you're looking for an online business manager or a virtual assistant, I want you to go to the places that have reputable training programs for those skills, for those professions. I want you to go there and post your job description there. If you're looking for someone local, I'm probably going to encourage you to look at Indeed, maybe even some local Facebook groups. It's really going to be dependent on what role you're looking for but know exactly where you need to post this for it to make the most sense. Again, the more aligned place that you post this, the better aligned candidates you're going to get. Number 10, and this is kind of a bonus here, but is there a personality test? Is there a conative test that you can give to the people that are coming through the application process to align better to the role or to you as a leader. So you guys know I'm a big fan of the Colby A assessment, K-O-L-B-E and the letter A. If you want to take this, I have an affiliate link and it will be in the show notes. But for me, it's the way to look at your conative ability. So the way that you process work naturally obviously as a high, as a recruiter and someone who hires for businesses, that's a test that I look at a lot. But I've worked with other people who want to look at the disc or want to look at Myers-Briggs. If you're going to use these tools, use these tools for information. They cannot be the reason that you disqualify anyone from the job description, but it sure helps you to see, to get a little bit more depth into the person as a person and not necessarily as an applicant to this role. So those are the 10 questions that I want you to ask yourself when you are going to write your job description. If you've been listening to this episode and you've been taking copious amounts of notes, I want to let you know that I have an entire course dedicated to hiring. So if this is something that's on your planning horizon and you're going to be doing this, and this sounds a little bit daunting, I have a step-by-step process that I have put together in a course called Hiring Simplified. You can take a look at this if you go to theopsauthority.com forward slash hiring simplified. You can find all the details there. And as you've probably gathered as you've been listening today, you have heard me talk and reference the projects that I take on. So the only projects I am currently taking on are hiring projects. So if you're looking for someone just to take this entire thing off of your desk, I'm the person to do that for you. So you can also reach out to theopsauthority.com forward slash hiring and we will be in touch. Alrighty, ladies, with every single episode, I make sure that you have an ops activity of the week. I would love to hear from you on what your next hire is going to be and what the main objective of that role is. So that was question number five, which is what is the most important thing that this person, thing, trait, skill that this person needs to have? 
That's question number five. If you will post that in the Ops Insiders group, you can go to theopsinsiders.com and join our private Facebook group. You can see me and the other certified directors of operations are in that group. And I would love to hear from you. What is the next hire that you're going to bring onto your team? And what is the main objective of that position? I'd love to hear from you guys. I really look forward to talking to you every single week, sharing some knowledge. And right now we're going to be focusing all on the hiring journey. Thank you so much for being here. I hope that this has helped you with writing your job description and I will be in your ears next week. Thank you for investing just a little bit of time to listen to this episode of the Ops Authority Podcast. I am so grateful to be surrounded by real action takers like you who are invested in growing their business through operations. Will you add one more action to your to-do list today? Visit theopsauthoritypodcast.com where you can join our community of business owners and other ops experts. You're going to hear from me in a week, but in the meantime, do big things on the backside of your business.